high in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode number 245 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I'm Grant Brisby here with Andy Baggerly. Uh, Andy, exactly 245 innings for Mike Kruko in 1986. One of the all-time uh, best seasons by a giant starting pitcher. In uh, part because it was so unexpected, but also it, it made that you got to like these kids season so much fun. Ooh, you know what? I just, Mike Kruko's name came up in the press box last night because we were watching Logan Webb basically put the team on his shoulders like he's done so many times this year. And the team has often, you know, dropped him and, you know, buried him and <laughs> set him on fire. But but uh, uh, anyway, the person I was talking to, an esteemed member of the Giants front office, who shall remain nameless, said, yeah, it's really tough, though, for a starting pitcher to win the Willie Mack Award, even though Webb does deserve it. And I went back, and there's a plaque in the back of the press box, and Ryan Vogel's song has won it, mm-hmm. Matt Cain has won it, Madison Bumgarner has won it, Javi Lopez and Will Smith somehow won it. Good, good for Will Smith. Must be a, a really good guy. Um but Mike Kruko won it in consecutive years back in the 80s. So as much as you think he's a cool cat in the broadcast booth, he has been very well thought of by his peers for a very long time. So it's good we're talking about uh, his playing career because he also was a really good pitcher. And I think that's sometimes lost because we just we see the guy with the glasses and, and uh, you know, the white hair and, 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 and hear all the grab some pine meat and all that. But you know, this guy was pretty good during his day. Yep. 20-game winner in 1986. Uh, he pitched 245 innings. He was, he was just, he was the guy. He was the guy that you trusted. It was wind day when he went out to the mound, and I'm going to use uh, his own verbiage for that. It was wind day when he pitched. And so, uh, Mike Kruko, 245 innings in 1986, but we're not here to talk about Mike Kruko that much. Sometimes, uh, you know, I could always talk about Mike Kruko, uh, but we're here to talk about the Giants, and since we last talked, uh, the Giants have fallen even further out of it. I think their postseason hopes are somewhere between a, a wing and a prayer and not going to happen. But I guess we can still talk about Logan Webb being the Logan Webbiest and being a little fiery after the game and saying that he's tired of losing, which doesn't go over poorly with uh, Giants fans. The comments, I mean, the losing goes over poorly, but he's not wrong. So talk a little bit about Logan Webb and uh, he opened up last night after the game. Yeah, no, I think the losing does go over poorly with everybody, but maybe not as poorly as it should mm. or has as as it should in 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 that clubhouse this year. And I keep coming back and I I've I've cited it probably on this podcast multiple times. I know I've cited it in my articles multiple times, but Brian Sabian said something and it was in one of the years that went a little sideways. And his comment was, "It's not that these guys have forgotten how to win." It's that they've forgotten how much they hate to lose. And I think that absolutely encapsulates this year's team. And I think there are a lot of guys in that clubhouse. Mike Yastrzemski is one of them. Wilmer Flores is one of them. Tyro Estrada is one of them. Logan Wimbus is definitely one of them. Uh, that have tried to basically instill that in this team. And it's just really hard when you don't have the stature 
And when you don't have sort of the permanence of someone who's got, you know, a multi-year contract and you know they're a franchise guy and they're the dude and they're going to be around. Um, and I think that's that's kind of a consequence of the way the Giants have built their team is uh, you don't have that kind of leadership and they haven't had it since Buster. And, you know, this is not this is not meant to be a knock on Gabe Kapler because his management style is what it is and he has strengths. He has a lot of good qualities about him. But one of the things that is not a strength for him is to call people to task, you know, and say, look, Chuck Peterson, you're out of shape. You should not be a 31-year-old DH who's too fat to play the outfield. I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a problem that they don't have people, who, enough people with the stature to police each other in that clubhouse. And that's got to change. I think Carlos Correa could have been one of those players. I think he really could have helped in that regard. Even if he was came here and he was on the IL for a big swath of the season, he's a guy who I think is a real polished professional who holds teammates to account. So you know, I don't know if that's something that you can fix in the span of one off season. Uh, I know Logan has has feels like and he's said, "Hey, I, I'm out there once every five days, guys. I, I can't I can't be someone who says this is the way you got to play the game." Uh, but you know, so maybe it has to happen on the position player side, but. It's been a problem on this year's team. Maybe it's been more a symptom of the losing than a cause of the losing hmm. or a byproduct of the losing. That's a tough thing to tease apart. I think it's probably more a byproduct than a cause. But it's something that you want to try to address before you get to spring training next year. That's for sure. Yeah. No, It's it, we've been focused in the last few years about how the Giants have generally uh, uh, nice fellas. They've got a, a group of solid dudes in the clubhouse. We joke about it being the no turds clubhouse with, you know, a couple of exceptions over the years. But for the most part, just solid dudes. But that doesn't necessarily speak to hungry fellas or hungry players or or guys who are just hate losing like you're talking about you maybe have guys who experience uh, uh not not the deepest of deepest lows but maybe you know not the deepest of highs and that's fine and that might be the way to get through life uh, without as much stress but maybe it's not translating to a sense of urgency. Uh, yeah, I, it, it's definitely something that I'm not qualifying to, to talk about with specificity. Um, but you can kind of see it come through with some of the lazy plays, the mental mistakes, uh, the, the physical errors in the field, that sort of thing. It, and if Kapler's not going to be the one to uh, put the fear of God into them, they have to put the fear of God into themselves. And it doesn't seem like it happened this year. And it's contagious. It's contagious. And and the proof, I'll tell you what the proof is, Mike Yastrzemski losing track of the outs. Mm -hmm. I don't think that happens in a different season. I I mean, it's he is as, as heady, as intelligent a ball player as I've ever covered. And we were all shocked at Dodger Stadium when he didn't throw home immediately after catching the sack fly. Yep. He lost track of the outs. And I think that's just what happens when you get kind of worn down and this becomes contagious everything's contagious right you're just a, you're in your environment and you sort of go with the flow if it's a good flow or a bad flow you know good hitting is contagious bad hitting is contagious you know mental mistakes are contagious and uh, uh, lots of other things you don't want to catch are contagious <laughs> so uh, by the way cough into your elbows please everybody chicken Still. wing chicken wing that's what we say uh, to yeah, the kids yeah wash your hands they're good habits every anytime um but yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it, it it has been a problem on this year's team, I think, and you know maybe it's something that the front office, the coaching staff, needs to pay a little more attention to because 
I mean, like you said, the no turds policy, makeup, having people who want there, having Bay Area people, uh, making sure people are comfortable in their space. The Giants do a great job, um, you know, making sure that families are there for, for people when they debut. And, you know, I was talking to Michael Conforto the other day, and I said, you know, hey, are you going to opt out? And, uh, and you know, obviously he's not going to answer that question directly, but he did say he's enjoyed it here, and he's enjoyed it here because they've been very professional. They treat their players very well. But, I mean, there's there are a couple of C words that you hear that are sort of trigger words around baseball clubhouses. One is cancer. You don't want to be a clubhouse cancer. And the other one is country club. And you hear that mm. with teams, with teams that have gotten complacent or they're just punching the clock or they're just there to, you know, live a life and, and oh, well, win or loss, whatever. And it becomes a country club. And I, I don't know if the Giants have devolved into that completely, but they've probably moved a little too far to that side of the fence than 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 they should and um and yeah i think this is a team that needs a little more edge next year part of me thinks that there is some edge built in where you've got a roster that should have a fair amount of second year players or or even rookies i think luciano is going to you know maintain his eligibility and so you'll have these players trying to stick you'll have the players who are trying to make everyone aware that they are full-fledged major leaguers that they're not going back to sacramento that's going to be a hunger uh that's going to be there embedded next year at the same time there's got to be some veteran guidance to that spot, to that hunger, to that uh, absolute disdain of losing. And I don't know what you can do in one offseason. I, I just don't think that's something you go out and you get necessarily in one uh, fell swoop. So uh, is it a trade? Is it is there someone on the free agent market that can come and really change the culture? Or not change the culture, but uh, give that fire, especially with a bunch of rookies and second-year players, uh, give that fire that they might need. I don't know about creating it, but you can find people, they're rare, but you can find people who reinforce that culture. There and I'll you. give you a perfect example. Perfect example. Jason Hayward hmm. is a perfect example. He's got a 121 OPS plus. That's his highest OPS plus since he was a 20-year-old rookie with the Atlanta Braves. He's having a great season for the for the Dodgers. They're putting him in in a, a sort of a, a managed role. You know, really, it's it's the kind of role he'd play on the Giants, and except they they put everyone in that kind of role. Uh, but when you do it around Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, you don't notice it so much. But he's having a really good season, very productive season, and he has been a huge leader in that clubhouse. I'll tell you, when the Dodgers were at Scottsdale Stadium uh, in spring training, I wanted to find Jason Hayward because I wanted to write a feature about his brother Jacob, who was a Giants prospect, 16th round pick out of the University of Miami. But, you know, his career kind of stalled out at double-A. But the Giants were so enamored with him and his leadership qualities that they offered him a coaching job. And that coaching job went from a fundies job to, all of a sudden, uh, one of their um, managerial jobs in the Arizona Complex League opened up at the last minute. And so they're like, well, let's give it to him. So that's how Jacob Hayward became a 27-year-old rookie manager in, um, in the Giants' system this year. And I thought it was a cool story. And I wanted to write about that at some point. So... I knew Jason was on the other side at the you know at the spring training day, and so I went over and found him, and I he came out of the game, he was done, and so I went down to the clubhouse and I I waited for him, and I thought I'll be down and like you know it, it, there's there's no space between the dugout and the clubhouse, there's nowhere to go, so I knew he was going to be in the clubhouse probably within like five minutes, well five minutes turned into almost an hour, and in that time I saw I saw Stephen Duggar, I saw Shelby Miller, all of these other people who were in Dodger camp that I knew, uh, which was delightful, but. Uh, 
the reason Jason Hayward was in uh, that dugout for an extra hour is because he was talking to Miguel Rojas and counseling him about his at-bats and, 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 and about what to do and, and, and how to be a big leaguer. And he's done that for a lot of the young Dodger players. And, uh, and boy, man, he, 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 that's what you need, you know. And he's a guy who's coming in who doesn't know that organization at all. He, he's, he's a new guy. So he's, he's different. You're not going to find a lot of people in this game who have those attributes. But the Dodgers were awfully smart to go out and get Jason Hayward. No one's going to talk about him as one of the biggest signings of the offseason, but he was a low-key, really important sign for them. And sometimes you need to get guys like that too. Yeah. No, I'm looking at the, the free agents coming up this offseason. Uh, do you want some spark in the clubhouse? you want a little bit of fire? Let me, let me roll this one past you. Tommy Pham. Mm, oh, well, um, uh, do, do you think Jock's going to be back? <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, I don't know these personalities well enough. I, I can't. It's hard for me to, to separate out the good dudes from the good dudes who can act, help instill that culture or help foster it. Uh, you know, Michael Brantley is going to be a free agent, but he seems to like it in Houston every chance he gets. Uh, you've got Aaron Hicks. He's having a move pretty fine renaissance season and part-time duty for the Orioles. There are guys out there who maybe can uh, fill that role. Uh, You know, you have, there's a difference because you have, for example, you mentioned Buster Posey. He seems to me like he was a a quiet, fiery leader, but also quiet. I mean, I I don't know if quiet and fiery or antonyms, but he seemed to be less of a rah-rah guy and more someone you just wanted to to play well for, someone who set the example, set the tone. Is that what the Giants need? Someone who sets the tone and you can tell when things don't go his way or go the team's way that he's not taking it uh, very well? Or is it someone who's a little bit more vocal, a little bit more uh, outwardly focused like Jason Hayward, who's helping the younger players? Are you saying that Posey isn't taking it or he isn't having it? Oh, because there's a difference. There's ha- a difference. He ain't. He didn't have a grip on the ball. I think we've I all, we've it. all debunked that gif, even though it's much better as I ain't having it. I ain't having no, it. No, that's like the worst thing I've ever done in my career is debunk that gif. I feel bad for doing it. I really do. Um, in retrospect, but- though, he th- that doesn't seem like him to be like I ain't having it you know that's not Posey and once you get to know him as a player he's not the kind of guy that's like I ain't having it don't steal a meal cut you down on the prime of your life that's not Posey I have to say one of my favorite moments of this season was in New York when Patrick Bailey threw out I think it was Starling Marte at second base and Dave Fleming on the broadcast said and Patrick Bailey is not having it (laughs) you go (laughs) nice callback deep pull deep pull and I think Patrick Bailey's a lot of that same way where if he has leadership it's not going to be like this vocal just you know calling guys out leadership but a, a set your own example have people follow your example kind of leadership if that's what he, he grows into yeah you know uh, uh, Bailey I think he's he's very prepared he studies uh constantly I mean the, the veterans have been like dude this is like your first flight in the major leagues why are you why are you checking scouting reports the whole way to Toronto or whatever um but uh um he, he's I don't think he's super rah-rah guy he's he's not a high energy guy I think he's very much even even lower than Buster in terms of a heartbeat um so I don't know if if he's going to emerge as that kind of player or not, but um, you know it's Buster is so rare because he didn't like you said he didn't even have to say anything he just had to have the presence and that was it that was enough um, and so you know those those players are rare they don't grow on trees and you don't even necessarily develop those players that's 
that's what happens when you have scouts who can, you know, get people like that with that kind of, um, you know, uh, I guess, just makeup into your system. And uh, when you can combine that kind of makeup with just absolute, you know, uh, game-breaking talent, I mean, that those are franchise players. And, you know, they're really, really valuable in, in a lot of ways that you can quantify and in a lot of ways that you can't quantify. So, um, that's going to be the challenge. Is, is It's part of the next core of, of Giants players, not only developing who can play, and we've seen some good things. I'll tell you what, wow, Marco Luciano playing shortstop the last week has been eye-opening. He's looked great, uh, but and Bailey at, short, at, at catcher before he started to get a little tired, you know, looked uh, like a guy who can hold down that position for a long time. And all that's important, but along with that, you got to develop leaders too. And, uh, and I think that um, even though you can't quantify that, We've seen it with the teams that have won World Series. Although, I will say, I will not get overconfident about my judge of character because I was among the members of the BBWAA who voted uh, for the 2010 Good Guy Award. We gave it to Aubrey Huff. So, <laughs> I, I, will never, I will never be too overconfident about my, my judge of character. Well, there's, a, there's friendly to the media when you're a player, and then there's... A... You know, shenanigans after the fact. So I, when you're when you're looking for a free agent contract, yeah, 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 we all got a little bit hosed there. Yeah, but let's go back to Marco Luciano because I have been not surprised by his play at short, but that was always the rap growing uh, growing up. That's always the rap when he's coming up through the system. Is yeah, but eventually he's going to have to move. Yes, he's got uh, the arm strength for third base. You might see him there. He's got the athleticism for the outfield. He's just too big. He's just going to get too big and powerful for shortstop. And in you know he's still 22. He's still going to fill out, and so that still might be a concern. But he looks the part. And Gabe Kapler was talking about that yesterday. And it, I can't disagree that he's played a, a near flawless shortstop. He looks the part. He looks like someone that can not just hang at shortstop, but someone who might have a chance to thrive there. And if that's the case. That's a really big deal going forward for this team. Oh, huge. I mean, you look at wins above replacement at various positions, and shortstop is just an absolute black hole for the Giants this year. And and it's, I mean, it obviously has been disappointing for Brandon Crawford. He's wanted to be a lot more productive than he's been. But who's the heir apparent to him? And, and is it are they going to go into next year trusting a 22-year-old Marco Luciano? I think... Probably not. They know that Fitzgerald can also play short. You can slide Tyro over there, but I would imagine they're going to try to get at least somebody else uh, who's got a little more experience who can, you know, if, if, and plus Luciano's gotten hurt a few times. So, you know, you got to protect against him, you know, having a, an injury. So I, I'd imagine they will try to thicken up their depth there. But yeah, that is the cleanest transition is Marco Luciano tells you, Hey, look, guys, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to hold this position down for the next six years. Um, and I, I, I'd imagine you've probably felt this way. I, I, I felt this way last night when you know what the story is. You know what you have to write. I had to write about Webb and Snell and Webb's comments and Clubhouse leadership and all and the wins and the Cy Young and what Cy Young voters should value, what they will value. That all had to be what I was writing last night. But a big part of me was like, I really just want to write about Marco Luciano because he turned that double play on the pivot and uh, and and they threw out Tatis who's really fast Rock and 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 he threw he he hit an absolute missile uh, 
down the right field line for the the biggest hit in the game to start that uh, rally that that got Webb the win. And I mean that was and it's not just been a one off. He's he's looked good in every game he's been in. So, um, but hey. Today's a new day, so maybe I'll write about Marco today. Uh, it, well, hold on, pal, because I might be writing about Marco <laughs> today. I, no, I, Get out of my lane. Yeah, Get out of my uh, lane. No, but uh, it, he's been very, very impressive in what I'm actually writing right now, which I, I didn't tell you or Melissa, which I should uh, as soon as I get off this podcast, was uh, just what can he do? Is there something he can do in the next week to change the Giants' offseason plans? Uh, the answer is probably not. But at the same time, I don't know if he keeps doing exactly what he he's doing, you can see the advantage of going in with him as the incumbent, so to speak, even though he doesn't actually have the job right now. Uh, but going into the offseason, just saying, you know what, it's his time, plop him down, he's going to be 22. It's time to sink or not sink or swim, but it's time to maybe experience some growing pains at that position over a full rookie season. Uh, I think it is time. I don't know if you want to mess around and, and switch Tyler or Tyro Estrada over um, just because he's playing so well defensively at second base. Uh, that is not a problem with the Giants right now. Second base in general on, on both sides of the ball, it could be a little bit better, but it's it's not the problem. So I think Luciano, he's got he's got a chance next year. Now, let me pose this to you. What would be the ideal caddy for Marco Luciano? What if you could draft like a player, a type of player, would you want him to be a veteran, maybe left-handed, uh, maybe strong defensively? Uh, would that be the kind of player you'd want to pair with Luciano? You know, um, there have been times uh, that um, a front office or a GM has had to literally release a player because the manager would not stop playing them mm-hmm. when they were kind of told not to. Vinny Castillo. There, there, yes, there are, there are instances of this. So if you put a player like that on the roster, I would be like, no, because I don't want Gabe Kapler to sit Marco Luciano against right-handers. Mm. I don't want him to pinch hit for Luciano when a righty reliever comes in in the eighth inning. This guy needs to be out there every day for the full game. You can't develop this guy to be um, uh, to have a caddy. Now, you need depth, obviously, but I almost don't want to put that temptation out there because the Giants have to start developing players not pieces for their machine yeah not 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 spare parts you know and and i realize that they've had to do a lot of what they've done out of necessity out of circumstance but when it comes to player development i'm sorry you got to develop starting pitchers and you got to develop um uh, position players who can play every day and you're always going to have people who you recognize are are you know more uh, sort of complimentary players you know whether it's an austin slater who comes up you know maybe a tyler fitzgerald becomes one of those players maybe he becomes uh i know everyone loves to compare him to potentially a chris taylor hey that's a super useful player i mean he's added a lot of wins and utility to the dodgers over the years but you got to have everyday players and marco luciano is their best position player prospect so i am hesitant to put anybody out there that they would you know um uh, want to feel like is his caddy 
These are all excellent points. I was being a little bit cheeky in uh, describing Brandon Crawford in a roundabout way. Um, that that was my jokey way of saying maybe Crawford could fit. But if he's a temptation for uh, Gabe Kapler to put him in against right-handers who are going to be generally the bulk of the starting pitchers you see, then you're right. Forget about it. I'd rather have uh, a right-handed uh, backup shortstop who maybe wasn't the perfect complement to Luciano. Because if you're going to go with him, you're going to go with him. And I feel like that about Luis Matos in a lot of ways. I know he's hitting lefties a lot better uh, than righties, but I, I feel like if you're going to put him out there, you're going to put him out there. And you want, he's 21, he's, he's going to be 22. You want this guy to blossom into his full potential. And he's not going to do that if he's not seeing right-handed pitchers at all. Um, so I'm with you. I think, I, I do want to make the argument that it's Luciano's time. And one thing that is... Uh, you know, his minor league stats this year have not been stellar. Uh, and I, I've been reading Roger Munter all year, friend of the pod, Roger Munter. And he's always been saying, look, I've watched the majority of these at-bats. I've, I've seen what he's been doing. Does not worry me at all. He is trying to fold more patience into his game. Still has the lightning quick bat. Still is making loud outs when he's making outs. That he is progressing as he should be as a 21-year-old. And I think he's progressed all the way up to the majors, and he's looking like a major league player now. So I think it's his time. I think that's my argument. Yeah, that's uh, and Kyle Haynes has said this. Farm director has said this uh, time and again. Is that you know when Luciano moves up a level, um, he there's an adjustment period, and he started a little slow at almost every level he's been at, even go down going down to low A. But give him a little time, and and the lights start to come on. So. I think they're used to this being sort of the norm uh, from Luciano. But, hey, let me share something with you. So yes, do you want to know do You know what it's going to take for the Giants to make the playoffs at this point? Oh, please. Uh, act of God, I would assume. All right. So they must finish 5-0. and okay. They must win the remaining five games. Okay. The Reds have five games left. They have to lose at least twice. Okay. The Marlins have six games left. They have to lose at least four. Okay. And then either the Cubs or... Or the Diamondbacks, not both. One of those two teams must hit the skids and lose six of six. That's what has to happen. The odds of that happening are probably 0.0001%. And those odds are still better than Brandon Crawford being on this team next season. <laughs> so, that, fair enough. Fair enough. That is my summary. That is my summary. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. That is it. That's fair enough. I just don't want to say goodbye, man. It's just been such a run. It's been such a run. Uh, it, it's almost like the um, when Bumgarner was leaving. I'm trying to think of who the the player is that, it, it, hey, he fits this team in so many ways, but at the same time, the name's attached and the history's attached, and, and that's going to get in the way. So if you're looking at a, a veteran left-hander who might be looking for a reduced role, Crawford would be great. It's not going to happen with the Giants. It's, uh, yeah, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. It's just, uh, yeah. Paul DeYoung, hey. No. All right. <laughs> no, no. Paul DeYoung, Paul DeYoung, thanks for coming. You will be among the, the fine um, hall of Giants greats who uh, end your tenure with the organization with a higher batting average than on base percentage. I believe that you're the one who told me that, right? Yep. So, yep, yep. Yeah. No, that's that hard to do. Hard to do. Hard to do. Uh, we've got, I mean, there's going to be a lot of Giants legends in the Sporkle quiz. You've got uh, AJ Pollock 
he has uh, he never reached base for the Giants. Six plate appearances, never once reached base, which means that, hey, Cal Stevenson took three walks. So Cal Stevenson is above A.J. Pollock in the, the Giants pantheon now. So if you grew up in Southern California, you'll get this reference. But every time I hear Cal Stevenson, I want to call him Cal Worthington. Because this guy, Cal Worthington, had this big, giant cowboy hat. And he always had a, some various exotic animal with him. Usually it was like a, a, a tiger or a llama. But it, he always called the exotic animal his dog spot, no matter what animal it was. And, uh, and, and he, was, he had owned a used car lot or whatever. And the commercials were on incessantly. And so every time I, I think of Cal Stevenson, I think of Cal Worthington. And who's probably, you know, not on this earth any longer because he's pretty old back then. But uh, yeah. yeah, if you if if you're one of the three people listening to this podcast who gets that reference, you're like jumping up and down right now. Uh, Cal Worthington, I have seen those ads. I, I have seen them. Uh, I've seen them recreated as well in a movie, and I cannot remember which one. Um, I don't think it was the actual Cal Worthington, but it was is meant to be uh, inspired by him. Uh, but I will say that when you Google Cal Worthington, you have uh, movies, Killer Tomatoes, Strike Back. So he uh, he was in Killer Tomatoes, Strike Back. Uh, but also, he has a distinguished flying cross, flew 29 bombing missions over Germany. So uh, Cal Worthington, a real American hero in like six oh different ways. God. You like Googled him like, like 20 seconds ago and you just blew my mind about I have a whole different... <laughs> I have a whole different opinion of Cal Worthington. Now he's a hero. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, distinguished flying cross. They don't just hand those out in Cracker Jacks boxes. Blowing Nazis away. Awesome. Go go get him, Cal Worthington. Him and, I'm impressed. He should have dropped tigers and said, here's my dog spot. You know, on the Nazis. <laughs> uh, all right, this has been episode number 245 of the Bags and Brisbee podcast. Uh, we will be back, I believe, next week to do kind of a post-mortem after the season uh hey if the cubs lose out and the marlins lose two of six who knows baby we might be right back here talking playoff baseball but we'll be back with the postmortem. so we'll see you uh. <laughs> we'll see you next week thanks for listening see you then <laughs>